Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we're in for a real treat because we have as our in-studio guest, Mr. David S. Rose. He is the author of the Startup Checklist, 25 Steps to a Scalable High-Growth Business. He is also the founder and CEO of Gust.com, which is a site that matches uh, investors with entrepreneurs. David, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Jerome. Pleasure to be here. I do appreciate, you know, I know how busy you are. Uh, from what I understand, you have helped found over a hundred companies, and folks know you in New York and, and Silicon Alley. Uh, but if you can, can you just give the audience a little bit about your education and background in your career? Sure. I'm a total homeboy from New York City. Right. Uh, I live about four blocks from the hospital in which I was born, ten blocks from my parents. Been in the same place for about 40 years, so it doesn't get any more boring than that. Uh, I went to uh, New York City public school system uh, through sixth grade, then uh, high school in New York, and then off to college at Yale, uh, followed by an MBA from Columbia. Uh, and uh, along the way, um, I've been starting companies because... I'm a third-generation entrepreneur, and I started my first company as a kid when my brother, who was a magician, did uh, magic shows for kids' parties at school. And I convinced him that he, of course, needed to have business cards and posters and programs and headshots and all kinds of marketing communication materials. So Rose Productions um, was contracted by him to provide all that stuff. Uh, and he had the most uh, amazing marketing communication materials of any young magician. Uh, the only problem is after a year or so, uh, my one client realized that the sum total of his revenues equal to the sum total of my revenues, so I lost my client. Um, but I was, uh, I was on the way, and then I started companies in high school and college, uh, graduate school, and since then. So I started probably half a dozen companies uh, over my career, and then as an angel investor, I founded the New York Angels, which is one of the most active and largest angel groups in the country. And as an investor, I've helped to fund, at this point, well over 100 companies in the, uh, the very earliest stages. And we've been fortunate enough to have exits to companies like Amazon and Facebook and uh, Intel and folks like that. So it's been a, uh, a very interesting career. I've had experience on both sides of the table, the entrepreneur and the investor. That is awesome. That is awesome. Before we jump into the startup checklist, which, of course, is available now. It's available on Amazon and all of the other uh, booksellers, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. So before we jump into the startup checklist, your previous book, Angel Investing, was a bestseller. What, what are the, the, the key reasons why you, you feel you think that your book just came out as a bestseller? Well, uh, angel investing, the history of that was I have been angel investing now for, as I said, over a decade, and I founded New York Angels, and uh, I do a lot of mentoring and, and teaching, so I'm on the entrepreneurship advisory boards at places like Columbia, NYU, Yale. I was mentor of the year at NYU Business School. Uh, I founded the entrepreneurship and uh, finance program at Singularity University out in Silicon Valley, 
And so with all of that uh, teaching and thinking about it, um, I am free with my opinions, shall we say. So there's a website called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, which is a question and answer website. And for years I've been answering questions there. Anybody asks a question about startup stuff or entrepreneurship or angel investing, I've had a tendency to answer it. So at this point I've had like 5,000 answers or thereabouts uh, on Quora. And with the rise in angel investing as a legitimate asset class and the sort of explosion of entrepreneurship over the last several years as technology has exponentially increased, um, it became clear that there was a need for some kind of, of book to help people understand how to actually be an angel investor. And so uh, Wiley, um, one of the largest of the business book publishers, decided on their own that it was time for a book about angel investing, since there was none, and they looked around and they saw the guy with the biggest mouth <laughs> or the most proactive keyboard in town, which was me, and they called me up and said, hey, you, know, you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Uh, can you write a, a textbook about angel investing? So I said, sure, why not? Uh, so starting with my, my core answers, I ended up writing this book about how to be an angel investor, and, uh, and it turned into it was actually the very first book about how to be an angel investor. And it hit a real chord, and so it came out a couple of years ago. And today, it not only is a New York Times bestseller, but uh, it is the standard textbook about how to be an angel investor that's given out by virtually all uh, angel investment groups to their new members. It's used in classes, academic classes, but entrepreneurship has been translated into Chinese and a couple other languages. Uh, and so it's, um, as the industry's textbook, it's read by a whole heck of a lot of angels, but the interesting thing is it was uh, also read by a lot of entrepreneurs who were looking for the sort of secrets from the other side of the table to see what investors were looking for. And so many entrepreneurs were uh, reading uh, the book, and they would uh, write me and call up and ask for you know, more information from the investor's point of view about what made a good company and how, you know, based on the companies that I've seen, they could actually start a company, that that's what prompted uh, the next book, actually. Wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. And then... You started Gust.com, which is a phenomenal award-winning website that matches uh, investors with entrepreneurs. Uh, share with us, how did that get started? Well, given my background as an early-stage entrepreneur, starting up all these companies, and as an investor, uh, investing in all these companies, and as a futurist um, with the entrepreneurship program at Singularity University, where I'm focused in the future and looking at the changes that exponentially growing technology have on society, um, it became clear that at the intersection of all of these things, um, there was an opportunity and a need to really revise the way the whole world funded early-stage startups. If you think about it today, uh, the public stock markets, the whole public finance industry consisting of you know, the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and all the stuff you read about in the papers, believe it or not, they only trade 5,000 different companies. That sounds like a lot, 5,000 companies you can buy and sell with your broker and your, your trading account, except for the fact that what most people don't realize is that every year in the United States, there are over 700,000 companies that get started. Wow. And that's 700,000 companies. That's not, you know, your local dog walker or whatever. I mean, those are companies that actually incorporate and hire employees and, and pay taxes, business taxes. So those are serious companies. And so if you have 700,000 companies a year starting, uh, but only 5,000 are traded publicly, there clearly is a disconnect between getting capital from the world into these startups. 
And while that was all happening, you had a change in the way startups uh, were being funded and the, the amount of funds they needed. So my very first company that I started up uh, in the 1980s, as a you know, big company, um, took uh, $20 million in venture capital to get to the ship of our first Internet product. My second company only took $2 million in BC. Wow. That's an order of magnitude difference, one-tenth the amount. Yes. When I then became a, an angel investor after the dot-com crash in uh, the early 2000s, the first company that I invested in as a business angel only took um, uh, $200,000 to get to its Internet shipment, um, another order of magnitude dropping in price. Then yeah. about six or seven years ago, New York Angels um, invested in a deal that I actually had led and became chairman of called Pond5, which is the world, this is today still, the world's leading website for video stock footage. So you can, if you're doing a video project, you can pick up uh, stock scenes of, you know, lions or flags or airplanes or whatever. Uh, and when the team, the founding team came to us, they had a website that was up and operating. They had a full management team. They were generating revenue. And the total cash that they had expended was less than $20,000. That's another order of magnitude drop in terms of pricing. That is awesome. And so if today you have an idea for a, uh, a mobile app or something or a, or a small website, uh, you can go on to Squarespace for a website or you can sketch in the back of a, of a napkin and go on to Upwork or one of these freelance sites and have somebody in Sri Lanka uh, you know, code your site for you for a couple of thousand dollars. That's another order of magnitude decrease to, get, to actually have something in market. So if you think about going from $20 million to $2,000 over, you know, a 15, 20-year period, um, that's a remarkable dislocation. Talk about a total disruption in the way that, that uh, companies get started, what it takes and who can do it. And at the same time, you're looking at a globalized society uh, that's having a, mid, a massive impact across everything in the startup world. So whereas, you know, 50 years ago, you know, the U.S. was the entrepreneurial country, now um, you have – People all around the world, I mean, wherever you are, if you are in Botswana or you are in Bangalore or you're in Bangor, Maine, you can start a company and you have access to all these online tools and cloud-based systems, uh, international payment processing stuff. Uh, so the very nature of business has changed. And with the nature of business changing and the nature of entrepreneurship changing, uh, it was very clear to me that there was an opportunity and a need for somebody to step in and build a platform that could connect all of these new startup entrepreneurs around the world who were starting really quickly and cheaply and effectively, but were looking to be really scalable, high-growth companies. And there's a very big difference. That's another thing that has changed, because if you think about small business, America is built on small business. But when we talk about small business, we usually mean a local business. We usually mean a local dry cleaner or a hardware store or a uh, restaurant or a dog walker or a, uh, a fitness trainer or uh, something that is small and will always remain small and local. Um, it's sometimes known as a lifestyle business. Nothing wrong with that term. It can create a, a wonderful revenue stream, income stream for the, for the owner of the business, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. more. Nothing wrong with that. But that business is not a high growth business. That's never that business will never be Twitter or Facebook or Apple or, or Microsoft. Um, but now, because you're in this world of exponentially growing technology, because everybody has access to a customer base around the entire world from the internet, to sourcing materials and and people to work for you from around the entire world with all these extraordinary tools, 
Um, it now is much more common for entrepreneurs who are starting out to not look to do a sort of survival or lifestyle business, but rather to set their sights on creating a big, scalable, exciting business with the goal, ultimately, of being Twitter or Apple or Facebook or, or whatever. Um, and it turns out that that kind of business is actually quite different from the traditional small business uh, in the U.S., and so, or, or, the, or the world for that matter. And so, therefore, the purpose of Gust as a platform was to connect the people who are starting those kinds of businesses with the people who are the individuals, these angel investors, uh, who have been funding these things uh, for a long time. But they typically would fund a small number of businesses, and they were you couldn't find them, and they were all very um, you know, private and quiet, and you knew somebody who knew somebody. Uh, but now, with the explosion of companies that could be funded with relatively small amounts of money, and the explosion of the number of people who, therefore, are able to fund these companies, uh, there needed to be a platform to connect them, and that's what Gust was. So we started uh, about 12 years ago, uh, and today, Gust is the leading uh, infrastructure platform for the whole early-stage finance ecosystem. We have uh, nearly 400,000 companies around the world uh, who use Gust to connect and collaborate with nearly 50,000 accredited investors who are the kind of people who invest in these early-stage companies. And because of that, we, we power the um, national federations of business angel investors in 29 different countries. And uh, given that kind of scale around the world, we also are the, the back-end platform that powers the official um, governmental online ecosystems for these startup worlds in the world's major cities. So, for example, New York City has something called digital.nyc, D-I-G-I-T-A-L.nyc, which is the entrepreneurial hub for the city of New York. Every startup and investor and video and class and workspace and event and blog and you name it is all in this one platform, which is powered by Gus. We do the same things for uh, Tech.London, the city of London, and StartHub in Boston, U.S. Department of State. Uh, so we have this whole platform that is designed to make it easier to start a company, run a company, and get funded by a company. And now we have the book, The Startup Checklist, 25 Steps to a Scalable, High-Growth Business. I must say, I am so impressed with what I read over the weekend. This is a phenomenal book. And it, it just seems like a natural progression in regards to the series of things that you've done to write this book. When did you finally decide to say, you know what, it's time to, 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 to document this book and get it out there in the public's hands? Yeah, well, as I said, you know, people, uh, entrepreneurs started reading the last book about angel investing and, and asking for more and more. Uh, and then, you know, I said, who the heck needs another book about, you know, how to start a company? Because there's certainly, you know, I've read a bunch of them and, uh, there are, you know, you go onto Amazon and you'll find there are 93,250 books on how to start a company. So I figured the last thing the world needed was, uh, was another book. But, you know, my publisher came to me and said, hey, there seems to be a need that, you know, people are, are looking for this and, you know, is there a hole in the market? And I looked at these books that are available, and it turned out there was a very interesting big hole. There were a hole to the, the books on how to start a company divide into a few different categories. There are, on the one level, the ones that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. These are the ones for starting a small business we discussed before. Um, it's, you know, how to incorporate as an LLC and, and file your taxes and, and how, you know, how to be, uh, you know, a, a dog walking company or a tutoring company or a local hardware store. Um, and those have been around for a long time, but they're aimed at a small business. The single proprietor, you do your stuff, it's a lifestyle business. Um, then there was a whole other set 
which is designed for the person who is going to start the next, you know, Facebook or Google or Twitter. Um, and those are some wonderful books like, uh, you know, The Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki, The Lean Startup Methodology by Eric Ries, uh, The Startup Owner's Manual by Steve Blank. Great books, but they're all what I call sort of high-concept books. They're how, to, they're how to do things like, you know, what's your product market, but how do you think about uh, the, the business you're going to be in and, and so on. Uh, they didn't deal with the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of doing it because that's all pedestrian. You know, they're dealing with the, with the big stuff. Well, it turned out that nobody was dealing <laughs> with the little stuff because the third category books that were out there were a, a bunch of other great books, probably the ones that you've mentioned on your show a number of times. Those are ones in leadership and inspirational books and, and you know, strive for the best and habits of successful people and so on and so forth. So the whole of the market turned out to be a nuts and bolts book about how to actually start from the beginning and create a business that is designed from the very beginning to be one of these high-growth, scalable businesses. How do you get to be the next Apple or Facebook or, or whatever? Because it turns out that starting that kind of business is actually quite different from starting a, a traditional small business. For example, a traditional small business, you're likely the only employer. You're the owner of the business. You own 100% of it, uh, and you continue to own 100% of it. You may be the only employee um, of the business. Uh, so effectively, you know, it's you. But for these high-growth businesses, you will likely have a co-founder or two or three in your founding team. So you have to divide up the equity in the business. You'll be uh, hiring employees, so there'll be not just you. It'll be employees. Those employees will expect to be compensated with equity um, as well as salary because they're in it for the high-growth as well, which means you have to give them equity, which means you have to have a stock option plan, which means you have to be incorporated as a, a C corporation, the most likely in Delaware, which is what investors would insist on. And so you, when you go through all these various things that are required to lay the groundwork for being a high-growth company, that's what this book is all about. And so in the 25 chapters, I take the reader right through, you know, how do you take your idea and figure out if it actually makes sense to be a scalable business and how do you use online tools like the business model campus and so on and, and live plan to write your business plan. Um, and then how do you take that all the way through and allocate equity with your with your co-founders and, and you know, network with the whole rest of the ecosystem to find people to, to join your team? You know, how do you find the lawyer? How do you incorporate? Where should you incorporate? You know, how do you set up an option plan? What are options? Um, how do you find your various employees? What do you use to bring them on? And then ultimately, of course, going into things like how do you set up your accounting system? How do you look for investors? How do you negotiate a term sheet with investors? One of the various ways of getting money in. And then ultimately for an exit, um, you know, the M&A, return acquisition to be acquired by a larger company or going public um, or, or the like. So it sort of runs the whole gamut from beginning to the end. Step-by-step, very pragmatic, uh, and then it gives you the, the, the tools you need and then points you in the direction of lots of other wonderful books. And so there's a whole reading list. The first appendix is my reading list of um, over a dozen books that I think are really great about the entrepreneurship world. But my book is The Nuts and Bolts. Absolutely. And then you have online tools as well. You have a lot of links where folks can go and, and get more tools and more information. We do. Um, so as I said, Gus is the infrastructure platform that enables this whole entrepreneurial world. And we've been working for years now on pulling together a suite of tools that will let the high-growth entrepreneur, you know, come in here and literally press a button and get started with almost everything they need. So uh, I would encourage uh, your listeners, if you are thinking about starting a business, um, and it's not going to be a small business, it's going to be the goal is to be a big growing business, one that will likely have investors and employees and so on, uh, then you probably owe it to yourself to uh, go to gust.com slash checklist, C-H-E-C-K-L-I-S-T.
Wonderful, wonderful. And um, now, I, I know the answer to this question, but I really want to stress it. Who should read this book? Well, this book is designed for the entrepreneur, somebody who is an entrepreneur. That means somebody who's going to start and found a business. It's also really interesting for somebody who isn't sure whether they're going to be an entrepreneur or not because it'll tell you what an entrepreneur has to do. And there's a whole chapter in the book devoted to helping you figure out, are you the entrepreneur? Because not everybody is. And actually, only a tiny percentage of the population is. It's close to like 1%. Um, but there are many other people who could be co-founders of a company, uh, who can be whether they're, they're salespeople or technical people or product people. Um, you might be really interested in starting a company, <clears throat> but feel that you're not the one to have the sleepless nights, the no work-life balance, to, to bet your entire life on the high risk of doing this. And that's perfectly fine, because those people are absolutely needed for these companies as well. But if, if you're not the entrepreneur, then you've got to find the entrepreneur to partner with to do this. And so uh, this book is designed for, is the instruction book, for the entrepreneur who is starting out to create a business that can ultimately grow really, really big and to do it right the first, from the very first step all the way through. And I have to add to, to, to the audience, I first met, uh, David, I first met you some years ago when I was a Cody judge for the SIIA, and you kindly invited me over to your office for, to take a look at, at my business plan, and you provided me with some very sage advice as well as provided me with a couple of books so I just want to say that David not only talks about it, but he does it as well. He's, he's very open to the community, help the community out. And I just wanted to make sure that the listening audience knows that David S. Rose is really a salt-of-the-earth person who really wants to help entrepreneurs to succeed. Well, thank you, Darrell. Isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So when you, when you think about this book, I said who should be a reader, but also I have uh, I've been sending notes around to uh, folks who are working in a startup, they're not the founders, but I said, hey, this is information to elevate your understanding about what your founder is going through so that you can be of better assistance to the founder. So I've actually recommended this to a number of folks who are, you know, the folks in the rank and file, so to speak, to educate themselves. And I'm sure well, that's you... great. The more, the more, the merrier. <laughs> that's right. That's right. One of the other books that you recommend here is The Founder's Dilemma. Uh, which is a great case study about what founders should, should think about. And one provision that you spoke about in the book is the what I call the clawback provision. You know, when you have a founder who maybe starts one of the, the co-founders who drops out out of the scene, so to speak, but still has a number of shares. Can you speak mm -hmm. to can you speak to the uh, that particular clawback provision and why it's important? To sure. Well, it, it, that's actually part of a larger issue. And so uh, when I when I talk about how you allocate equity. Um, among your founding team in a, in, a, in a startup. That's always a very big question. A few people get together and say, hey, let's put on a show or let's start a company. Um, it, typically, it's, it is very, very, very rare that they're all equally skilled, equally you know, leaders and everything else, right? So you have to figure out how to divide the equity. And, and there are all kinds of books on the subject. And some say, well, obviously, you just divide it equally. Everybody gets an equal share. But that's really not the way to do it for a couple of reasons, right? One, if you have two partners and it's 50-50, then nobody can force a decision. And I've seen cases where companies just die because you can't get to an answer. So somebody has to clearly be in charge, be the person 
the buck stops here. And that's the entrepreneur. Uh, and then also, you know, it's not until you actually start working in a business that you know how well you will work with other people, how whether they have the same commitment to the, to the company you do, whether their skill set is appropriate for what the company needs. And that's why there's the concept of vesting. Now, most employees in high-growth companies are familiar with the term vesting because it means when you sign up for a company, you get the salary and you get the stock options, and those options vest over time. And it means you can exercise those options typically over four years, so you have to be there for four years to fully get the benefit um, of, of that equity. Um, and it's often a, a one-year clip. So if you leave in the first year, you get nothing, and only at the end of the first year do you get a quarter of the equity and then monthly thereafter. But even in founders, among the people who start a company, if you have more than one founder, your founders really need to have what's called reverse vesting. And that is, they founders start out owning the company, but an investor is going to want to insist that everybody on your founding team has reverse vesting on their ownership. And that means that if one of the founders, um, for whatever reason, leaves the company early on, either because the others, you know, the company decides he's not the right person for the company or they, they decide to just walk away from, from the company themselves, um, you do not want that person taking a whole chunk of the company's equity with them, right? So equity is designed to incentivize people who are staying with the company. So as a founder, you absolutely want everybody, all of your co-founders, to have what's known as reverse vesting and probably over the same four years that an employee would have. Wow. Okay. And so what do you feel are the key leadership attributes that an entrepreneur needs to have? Well, the one that I always tell all my entrepreneurs and all my angel investors to, to look for, the single most important one is integrity. And that sounds like a goody-two-shoes thing, but it's not. It's a really hard-nosed business thing. I have to trust my entrepreneur absolutely 100% because when I'm investing in a company, uh, in a startup, there's no company there. It's all of the futures. It's all what they are, what's in this person's head, what they're going to build and dream about. And they're going to be making decisions every single day about this company. And I have to be able to take on faith that the decisions they make are going to be made for the right reasons, for the good of the company, not to benefit themselves at my expense. Um, because if I can't trust them, I'm always looking over my shoulder, their shoulder, to, and always second-guessing what's going on, and that's, I just can't afford to do that. So, therefore, integrity is the number one trait. And, frankly, nobody wants to work in a, in a company where you can't trust the leader, where you can't trust the, uh, the CEO. Uh, and so in terms of company retention, in terms of getting investors, in terms of operating the company, uh, integrity is number one. And then there are a host of things after that that are, are really important. You want to have passion. Because, um, as I said, the entrepreneur is the only person with no work-life balance. You're not entitled to work-life balance. Every employee in a startup is, but not the entrepreneur, because you have to be devoted full-time to this company, and that requires a passion to drive you that other people don't necessarily have. You know, then you're looking at things like you know, skills and that ineffable leadership quality. Will people, can you inspire people? Will they follow you? You need to be both visionary and at the same time realistic. You need to be flexible as things change because they change all the time in the startup world. But you need to have commitment to stay the course and stay to the end. Those are all the things we look for in the leaders in whom we invest. Excellent, excellent. Believe it or not, uh, we're, <laughs> we're almost out of time. So, but, um, how does one prepare themselves as they read their book and they, and they want to be an entrepreneur, but they've read the book and they're like, you know what, there's a couple of characteristics that I have to, to, to learn and grow. Is that possible for them to do that? Sure. Every, everybody can always grow. No question about it. However, the key defining thing for an entrepreneur is that entrepreneurs do something. 
and the wannabe entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs, talk about it. So you can read books like mine, which, by the way, you should read, uh, you know, all day long. You can read all the books in my, my reading list. You can read every one of those 93,000 books on Amazon. Um, but unless you get out and actually do something, you will never be an entrepreneur. So the way to, to train to be a leader is start doing something. I think, if, by the way, you have to be a good follower to be a good leader. So all these kids who drop out of school and then become, you know, say, I'm a, I'm a leader, that doesn't work. I mean, I learned a whole heck of a lot from my school days and my employee days. Um, uh, and, and that's why the, the Army puts even their officers through basic training first with drill sergeants yelling at them, you know, fall, you know, fall in, do this, do that. <laughs> and once you learn how to follow, then you can learn to leave. Well, we actually have one minute left, David. And what, and, and what is the one thought you'd like to leave with this audience about your book, The Startup Checklist? Uh, I think it'll be a – if you are an entrepreneur, read it before you start because it'll tell you all the things you need to do. It'll save you a lot of time and a lot of trouble and ultimately a lot of money. And more importantly, you'll end up doing everything right the first time instead of having to pay a lot of money to clean it up the second time when you're actually getting real investors who are looking at what you've done. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. David S. Rose, the author of the Startup Checklist, 25 Steps to a Scalable High-Growth Business. David, thank you for your time today to go out of your busy schedule to do this interview. It's my pleasure, Ralph. Thank you for having me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM at Seton Hall University and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great weekend, and remember, leadership begins with you.